All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Um, and I like this section because, you know, sometimes Paul can be that really driven guy, you know, the, the capital A apostle that's always just, you know, mowing through on missionary journeys. And, and in this section, we get to see a bit of Pastor Paul come out. Um, he's going to open up his heart and, and just share openly and honestly with them about some of the things that are going on. And, and this can be really hard for, for a pastor to do. And in fact, sometimes it's discouraged um, by those in the know. I know that uh, seminaries often will tell pastors never you know, let yourself get too up close and personal with the congregants, the people in the church. Make sure that you create, like, you know, protect yourself and your family and, and make sure you create some distance. And, you know, um, it's kind of sad, you know, that they would encourage pastors to not be very transparent. If you've been here any length of time, you know that we, we try to be very transparent. We try to be very open and honest with our lives. It's interesting because recent studies have shown that, that one of the things that has turned young people off to the church uh, to where they don't really want to come back is this very thing that, that they don't see it as being authentic or real. Uh, it, it's kind of like everybody just kind of pretends and, and, it, and it, it shows. And, and I don't know if that's been your church experience ever, but I know that I've experienced this in the past. Um, it was kind of normal to see everyone in church pretending that their lives were great and their families were great. And, and this is true of the pastor and his family as well. Everybody just kind of does this thing that we all, we all do sometimes. You can never be honest about the troubles in your life or your family because you, you would think that you would be that odd person out and you don't want to, you know, you know, nobody wants to be the odd person out. I heard a quote a while back that was absolutely devastating. So I'm just going to say, brace yourselves because this is a doozy. It says this, I don't know why Christians are so upset about wearing masks. Most of them have been doing it for years. <laughs> it was like, ooh, I know. So it's a, it's a rough one, right? Um, you know, there's a huge relief when, when we finally can take that off and, and, and both physically and spiritually speaking, um, and, and just be honest. And what you'll find is that you really aren't the odd man out. You're not the odd person in the group that, that you're actually among people that are just probably a lot like you are. We all have brokenness in our lives. We all have problems with our families. We all have sins that we struggle with. And we purposely tried to create an atmosphere that allows for that at, at this church. And that's kind of the idea behind uh, the, the phrase sinners only that you see on our shirts sometimes. Um, it, you know, it's not meant to be the idea. Uh, a couple of guys bought the shirts when we first put them out and they were like, yeah, sinners. Like you guys are not understanding what this means. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't a reason to celebrate. Um, it, it's not. It's, it, it's that the Bible tells us that Jesus didn't come to save the healthy he came to save the sick. He didn't come for the righteous. He came for sinners. And, and so this doesn't mean that we glory in our crud. We don't want that. You know, it's not something we celebrate. We, don't, we are broken and we want to be honest about it, not celebrate it. Um, but it's just that it's nice when you don't have to pretend, when you can be honest about where you're at and what's going on, knowing that Jesus is in the process of transforming us. He is in the process of fixing, rescuing you know, the brokenness and the things that are in our lives like that. But we don't need to act like it's not there. You know, the, the world sees that. We all see that when that happens. It's hypocritical. Nobody, nobody benefits from that. But the good news is, like I said, Jesus is transforming us by his righteousness. The Holy Spirit is, is performing an extreme makeover in our lives. I don't know if you guys ever remember that show, but there's going to come a point where, you know, that move that bus moment where it's like, we're going to be fixed. I can't wait for it. But, but... It's not there yet. You know, we're in this process called sanctification where every one of us is at a different stage 
Um, God's working, you know, in an area of some person's life that's different than another person's life. And, and that's kind of the way it works. So that means we need to have grace for each other. Uh, the thing that you're concerned about might not be the thing that God's working on in their life right now. And so, so there needs to be kind of understanding, knowing that God will, he will complete the work that he started in as he promised that he would. Some of us are just going to take a little longer, right? You know who you are. We're all in this process. Some of us are stubborn. Some of us do it the easy way. Some of us do it the hard way. But praise God that he is faithful. You know, Paul is just a great example of somebody who was authentic. He was, he was real. With Paul, what you saw was what you got. He was honest. There were times when he would say, I'm the chief of sinners. Can you imagine saying that? I, I'm the biggest sinner I know. I mean, I can say that, honestly. I am the biggest sinner I know. I don't know your heart. I don't know your thoughts. I know mine. And, and that's just the, the reality. And Paul could say that. That's transparency. You know, his life was an open book. And yet he had a clear conscience before God because of Christ. And that made his ministry even more effective. So in chapter two, what we see is Paul is actually, um, he seems to be writing in response to some misunderstandings and, and maybe some accusations about his, the time that he spent in Thessalonica with this church. It looks like the, there were people that were questioning his motives, questioning his sincerity, and he wants to make sure that things are set straight. Um, you can kind of imagine what this would have been like. It, you know, Paul had opponents. We know that from, from the, the story in Acts 17. Uh, and they were trying to convince the believers there in the church that Paul had abandoned them, that, that, you know, the minute it got tough, he took off. This, these are the kind of things you can kind of imagine going on. He doesn't care about you guys. He only cares about himself. He was probably there just to take advantage of you. You know, he just, he just wanted money or women or fame or something like that. And the minute that it, you know, the minute it got tough, he bailed. So he's like a snake oil salesman. It just goes from town to town trying to, you know, deceive gullible people. That, that was the kind of stuff that was probably being said about Paul and so Paul just kind of asked the church, hey, wait a second, you guys, step back and, and focus on what you know to be true. You know what we were like when we were there. Focus on that. Think about that. Don't get caught up in weird accusations and speculations because it's easy for us as people to do that, isn't it? You know, we've experienced this at the door over the years. There's, there's times when people will come up with these, these stories or these accusations that maybe there's something that they don't know about, so they just kind of fill in this, this, uh, this speculation with something. And it's kind of frustrating, honestly, that, that we do this kind of stuff. We would prefer it if you guys would just come and talk to us and ask what's going on. There was a time when, you know, David, Pastor David is wired to always want to start a new work. If there's, a, if there's something new going on, he wants to rush over there and spend time in that new work. That's what he does. It's how he's wired. He's actually, you know, different that way. I'm the kind of guy that wants to stay in the same place for my whole life and never move because it's comfortable there. He's the guy that's going, oh, there's danger over there. Let me run over there. But, but at one point, he was accused by somebody in the Sun River location. Well, he doesn't care about this church. You know, he's always wanting to be somewhere else. He always wants to go, so he doesn't care about this. And it's like, well, that's ridiculous. You know, but that was a rumor that was going for a while. When the COVID stuff started happening, there were people that were saying, these pastors don't care about people. They don't care. They don't love people. They don't care about anybody. You know, and it was just like, what are you talking about? But that was one of those things that started floating out there. And I would just say, guys, think about what you've watched over the last 10 years and who we are and, and what we've, you know, I mean, it shouldn't be hard to figure out. So hopefully you would give us the benefit of the doubt. And if you ever have any questions or concerns, come and talk to us. You know, we're an open book. Our lives are open. And there's going to be times when it probably looks weird, and maybe sometimes it will be, but let's talk through it and figure it out because the church needs to be unified in that regard. So here's the passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. It says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you is not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, 
We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we had been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext or a cloak for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So, so you hear the, the heart of a pastor for these people coming out here. He starts out in verse 1 with the phrase, you know, and he repeats that throughout this passage. You know what we were like. You know these things. He's reminding them of what they witnessed firsthand and know to be true, which is something all of us need from time to time. We need to take that big step back and focus on that. He says, you know that our coming to you is not aimless. It wasn't pointless, but, but it may have looked that way, right? Even in, in hindsight, when you, when you look, you'd say, well, they were here for a little while, and then, then they, like I said, they bailed in the middle of the night. That could have looked like a failure, but looks can be deceiving. If God is involved, things are never aimless or pointless, even though sometimes it might feel that way or look that way. Sometimes we don't get the results we want. If you've ever been in ministry of any kind, you know, you know what this is like. If you focus on results or circumstances or whatever, it can be discouraging. There's going to be times when we just wonder if it matters at all what we're doing. We can, we can get into that mindset, but it does matter. The reality is that this town of Thessalonica had no church. Paul shows up with Timothy and Silas. They're there for a short period of time. And, and when they left, guess what, guess what was there? A church filled with believers. <laughs> that's, that's a win. That's, that's something to rejoice over. Even though maybe they got run out of town and, and that's not how they would have you know, drawn it up on paper, that's what, that's what happened. But can you imagine what these guys might have felt like if they only let their circumstances be their litmus test for success? If, that, if that's what they based it all on, it wouldn't have looked good, especially when you read verse 2, because as we'll find out, this was kind of par for the course for these guys. This wasn't their first rodeo. This is the same thing that happens in pretty much every town they go into. So verse 2 says, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. If you know the story of what happened in Philippi, it's, it's recorded in Acts 16, um, starts around about verse 19, but it basically tells the story of, of how they were preaching the gospel in the town. Again, people got upset. They grabbed them. They beat them with rods. The public officials actually arrest them, beat them and arrest them, put them in shackles. They're, they're in jail. And, and then what happens? There's a middle of the night. It says Paul and Silas are just singing hymns. They're, they're in jail, singing to the Lord. And all of a sudden, there's like an earthquake starts happening, and the, the cell doors open, and the shackles come off their feet. And the jailer knows what this means. If these guys get, get out, if they, if they make a run for it, I'm going to get killed. So he decides to you know, save some time, and just he's going to kill himself because he knows what's going to happen. And Paul says, wait a second. Stop. We're all here. We're good, man. We're not going anywhere. The jailer's so just blown away by this that he comes to Paul and says, what must I do to be saved? And so Paul and Silas lead this guy to the Lord and his whole family. I mean, it's kind of cool. So if you look at the circumstances, it was horrible. But what came from it? God used it for good like he does. So we can't ever equate conflict and opposition with God's absence. But that's what we do, don't we? Well, if, if it's difficult, 
God must not be in it. We do that all the time. Oh, this is hard. God must not be here. Have you read your Bible? <laughs> it's like, do you even Bible, bro? That's, that's what I want. I think, you, you know, every time you read the Bible, you find this, this is what happens. It might be more accurate to say, if it's difficult, God must be at work. That's what's true. So opposition does two important things for us. One, it tells us that we're involved in something that warrants it, that warrants opposition. Right? I've never been a huge sports guy, but I've watched enough to know that if you've got somebody that's really effective you know, on the field or on the court, what do they do? They double team that guy. They, they triple team that person. They, they, they realize, oh, this isn't good. We need to oppose this player. That's what people do. You don't, you don't go after the guy that's you know, sitting out in right field picking his nose or something like that. That guy's not a concern for us. You, know, you don't double team that guy. But, but Paul knows exactly what this was like. You remember how Paul, I mean, think about the effectiveness of Paul. And yet, what did he have? Exhibit A, a thorn in the flesh. He called it a, a messenger of Satan to, to buffet him or to harass him. And he pleaded with God, make this go away, Lord. I don't want this in my life. Please make this go away. But what did God say to him? No, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For in my, or your weakness is made, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. I should have wrote it down. But he, he's telling Paul, no, this, this serves a purpose. This opposition is actually causing you to rely on me. Yeah. That, that's why it's good. It means we're doing something right, and it means that we're relying on God. And that's basically what Paul's saying about this time in Philippi. We got arrested. We got humiliated. We got beaten. We got run out of town. Praise God. He's at work. He's doing something. You know, right now in our country, things look bleak. You know, if we, if we were just to do the same thing we do and, and try to evaluate everything that's going on, we could convince ourselves that God is absent, that he's left the building, and that, and that things aren't going right. Or... Or we can see God at work in the midst of it. And I, that's, I'm excited, actually. This sounds weird because the patriotic side of me kind of hates what I'm seeing. But the Christian in me sees something good happening and, and, and kind of exciting because I see God at work. Amen. I mean, I would ask you this. How many of you guys right on a sunny day just walk around with a flashlight outside? <laughs> shining it around everywhere you go. You're just, you'd look like a lunatic, wouldn't you? Right? You don't need a flashlight when it's light out. But you need it when it's dark out. When it's dark out, you look for light. You seek it out. And that's what we're seeing right now in our country. The darker it's getting, the more people are becoming desperate to find light. I mean, that's, that's what the church is, isn't it? We're like a lighthouse in a storm. Right now, the waves are crashing. People are, are getting worried. And here we, here we sit like a beacon. We know the light of the world. We can point people to Jesus as the answer. That's exciting to me. That shouldn't discourage us. That should excite us. And that's why we, we can be confident that what we're doing matters because we have two beacons in this area that are proclaiming the light of the world. We get to point people to him. So yes, we're going to have opposition. Yes, we're going to have hardship. That's part of the deal. But we're going to be part of a church that is seeing people come to Christ and they're going to grow in Christ, and they're going to go out and tell other people about Christ. And that gives us reason to rejoice. That's a win. And that's why these guys were able to preach Christ with boldness in spite of strong opposition. It, it's interesting to think about. They went through all this hard stuff, and it somehow emboldened them to do it even more. <laughs> Seems kind of wrong, doesn't it? I mean, if I got something treated like they did, I'd probably be like, shh, keep this on the DL. We don't need to, you know, we don't need to you know, make a fuss anymore. Let's just be quiet. No, they got more bold. You know, if I were to ask you for a show of hands of who feels bold in proclaiming the gospel, most of us probably wouldn't raise our hand if we're being honest. 
The boldness doesn't come from us, though. It comes from knowing that it's God's power in us. You know, that's what he said in Acts 1. Hey, don't take off. Don't go out on your own. Wait till the Holy Spirit comes. Then you'll have the power you need. And I, I love that. I, I, I love knowing that it's not up to me. It's not my power. There's this great story by Spurgeon that illustrates this very well. Um, he, he says this, in, in 1857, a day or two before preaching at the Crystal Palace, I went to decide where the platform should be fixed. And in order to test the acoustic properties of the building, I cried out in a loud voice, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. In one of the galleries, a workman who knew nothing of what was being done heard the words. And they came like a message from heaven to his soul. He was smitten with conviction on account of his sin. He put down his tools. He went home and there, after a season of spiritual struggling, found peace and life by beholding the Lamb of God. <laughs> Not cool. I mean, he just shouts it out to test out the sound. He could have counted to 10, you know, but he, he chose that. And this dude just cuts to the heart, goes home and, and finds Christ. It says about this guy, it was on his deathbed that this man told the story of his conversion. The result of God speaking to him through a single verse of scripture uttered by a pastor who didn't even know he was there. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Yeah. That's the power of God through the message of the gospel. God has just asked us to, to proclaim a simple message. That's what he's asked us to do. We don't have to convince anyone. It's not up to us to control their emotions. It's not up to us to make sure they believe. We can't do any of that, but God can. So, so we've been asked to sow seeds. We just throw seeds. Every once in a while, you'll come along and you'll water a seed. We've been asked to do that as well. You know what we haven't been asked to do? Cause the seed to grow. That, that, that goes into God's inbox, not ours. He does that part. And that takes the pressure off of us. Now, it still takes courage. Don't, I, I know that. It takes courage to share our faith. But if we really care about people and believe that Jesus is the answer, we will be compelled to tell others, won't we? You're not just going to let them suffer out there in the storm without turning the light on for them. It's funny, um, you know, how this is, you know, we're, we're so free with our advice when it comes to everything else. If, if I were to, you know, I'm, I know we all do this. We tell people um, what they should eat in order to stay healthy. We tell them what medicine or treatment they need to overcome illness. Don't we do that all the time? Well, those are personal things, right? And you'll hear that. Oh, you need to, you need to get gluten out of your life. <laughs> Who are you to tell me that? You know what? You need, you need some zinc. You need ivermectin. I had so many people tell me, you need ivermectin now. And I'm like, I don't even know how to say that. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, ginkgo biloba. You remember when that was a big thing? Yeah. People were always telling me, you needed that. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. But all right. You know, you could walk up to a stranger and be like, you need to get that mole looked at. It's like, <laughs> hey, you know, we say that kind of stuff. We get that personal, but we won't say, you need Christ. The thing they, more than need, they, the thing they need more than anything else, and we won't say that. When it comes to eternity, we clam up. The boldness to tell others should come from a sense of urgency. We need to tell people because the stakes are so high. But we would be foolish not to ex expect strong opposition when we're committed to doing that. And that's what Paul was dealing with here. You know, we, we see these cynics coming forward, assuming that there must be a selfish motivation for what they're doing and so forth. So it's that, that idea of like, you know, what's in it for you, Paul? What, what are you trying to accomplish here? And so in the next verses, Paul explains their pure character and what their motives really were. So he's going to give them the, the what, the why, and the how of their mission. And he wants them to know that everything we, we did was above board. 
His conscience was clear before God, and, and he's assuring them that he had their best interests in mind. So verse 3, it says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. So when we ask people to believe, to come to Christ and believe the gospel and submit their lives to him as Lord, we can rest assured that one, this message has been approved by God, right? It pleases him when we tell people about him. And we don't need to use flattery or deceit or try to improve upon the message that we give them. Uh, you know, we don't have to use trickery or, or what I would call the old bait and switch. Do you, do you, have, you know what I'm talking about with that? People like to, to do this with the gospel. They try to like, you know, let's, let's drum it up a little bit. Let's make it a little bit more appealing for them. Um, or they try to water it down and change it to where it's not as offensive. We don't do people any favors when we conceal the, the true cost of discipleship. And we don't do people any favors when we promise them blessings that aren't ours to promise. And that's the kind of the stuff we see. We see people um, basically saying, you know what? Come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. Isn't that a message that, is that what the gospel message that a lot of people are preaching is? Come to Jesus and you won't get sick again. You'll have all the money you need. You won't struggle. And I mean, you'll, that's not the gospel. Actually, Jesus promised the opposite of that. He said, die, come and die. That's, that's the message of the gospel. Take up your cross daily and follow me and then you'll find life. That's the opposite of what people are saying. But you know what will fill stadiums? What will fill stadiums is your best life now, right? Jesus has a wonderful plan for your life and he wants you to have your best life now. That's what will fill stadiums full of people. The message of come and die, it's not gonna, you're not gonna get a large crowd to come and hear that. We live in a time when people will take advantage of others in order to get what they want from them. We see it in politics, we see it in the media, and unfortunately we see it in the church. And in fact, many people think that, that that's what happens every day in churches. They think that right now you're being duped, you're being sold a bill of goods, that, that you know, we're just greedy people that are trying to find a way to, to get money from you. That's what people think the church is. And unfortunately, there's a reason for that. There's churches that are doing that. You know, this is one of the reasons that here at the door, we rarely talk about money. We've actually been chided for it. People will say, why don't you guys ever say anything? And it's like, well, because of these churches, that, that's all they talk about. If you go to our website, good luck finding out where the giving tab is. I mean, you have to search for it. Most churches go to their website and look, guess what's on the very first page and just bold right out front, the giving tab. You've got to, you've got to hunt for it on our page because we don't want that to be the, the main thing. That's why we don't pass the plate. We have people coming and saying, hey, if we, if we wanted to give, could we? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, you just got to find the boxes. They're, they're hidden around here somewhere. Well, we, we, we you know, absolutely appreciate that, but we're not going to highlight that because of churches like this that have done this over the years. And it's also one of the reasons that we have multiple co-equal pastors at the door. We want to make sure that we have accountability, that we don't have one guy that can become, you know, elevated or, or get big-headed or whatever, so we have checks and balances. We don't ever want to be accused of being greedy or of using the gospel as a means of gain. And at the time Paul wrote this letter, you know, th this is kind of the way it worked. They didn't have, if you wanted to become a celebrity, you couldn't like create a YouTube channel or, you know, do TikTok or whatever they do now. There's people that are famous because of this kind of stuff. That's not how it worked. You had to travel from town to town and make a name for yourself, like a celebrity. You would go in and, and the more popular you were, the more money you made. Um, that's kind of the way it worked. Paul is deliberately distancing himself from that crowd. He's saying, this is not who we are. This is not what we're like. And we need to do the same thing as Christians. This is not what we're about at all. It's always telling to see what, what somebody gains from the ministry that they're involved in. You, you can learn a lot by it, right? 
Uh, you'll notice that we we don't we don't drive private jets. You know we don't have. There's even a there's a website. It's a kind of it's kind of mocking, and I'm sorry. If you, you know maybe I shouldn't, but there's an Instagram page called Preachers and Sneakers, and it's this guy that just takes pictures of these preachers on Sunday mornings when they, they're wearing like two, three, four thousand dollar pairs of sneakers, and he'll take pictures and be like, look at this dude. You know it's it's kind of gross and kind of funny at the same time. Just so you know, these were like 30 bucks and there's a hole in the bottom of them. So, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of money to be made pretending to serve Christ and people have figured it out. And there isn't much that disgusts me more than that. And the world hates it too. The church should have nothing to do with this. And I am comforted by my fellow pastors and, and hopefully you are too by the fact that we would do this whether we got paid or not. We did it for years without getting paid, and, and now we do, but, but if that went away tomorrow, we would continue to do this because it's what we're called to do. It's not about the money. We're not trying to get rich. We're not trying to get famous. We never will. We want to make Jesus famous. That's why we do this. So we don't want there to be any opportunity um, for abuses of power or temptations. That's kind of what Paul is going to talk about in verses 5 and 6, where he says this, So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a, a pretext or a cloak for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So Paul calls God as his witness to the following statements. We spoke to please God and not man. We didn't use flattery. We were not greedy. We didn't seek glory and fame. I hope that describes us. I hope that describes, um, you know, the door. And I hope it always does. I wish it were true in more churches today. But the, the, the fact of the matter is, you can grow a huge, successful church by learning how to do these things. I mean, it's almost like a recipe for how to grow a huge church. I'm not saying all, all big churches are this way. That's not what I'm saying. But if you wanted to do it, this, you know, learn how to speak in a way that pleases men. Step one, right? Learn how to flatter. Learn how to, to pretend like what you're doing isn't really about greed. You know, make, make it, don't make it obvious. Those are the things you would do. And you would become famous. So that would mean if, you're, if this was your goal, you would never talk about anything that might upset someone. That would be stupid, right? You, that would stop them from giving or maybe tempt them to go to another church. So never talk about anything that would upset anybody ever, right? Only tell them nice things, what they want to hear. This is one of the problems that really big churches face is, that, is they become such a giant machine that has to be fed. You know, there's big salaries, there's big mortgages, and you've got to constantly feed that thing. So you put yourself in a position where you're forced to compromise to satisfy people. And this is also one of the reasons why the pastors at the door, we don't know who gives. We have no idea who gives and we know, no idea how much. We do that on purpose because we don't ever want to be tempted. If you have somebody that's paying your salary, <laughs> how are you going to treat that guy or that, or that gal? How are you going to, you know, you're going to make sure that they have everything they want. You're going to try to please them, make, them, make sure they stay happy. The bottom line is this. Our job isn't to make people happy or to please them. Even though we like it when people are happy and pleased, don't misunderstand. It's great when people are happy and pleased. I, I'm a people pleaser by nature, so I really like this, but that's not my goal. Our job is to tell people the truth of God's word, not just the stuff they want to hear, but the stuff they don't want to hear also, the stuff they need to hear. That's what we're called to do. I recently had somebody come up to me after a sermon and say this. It was fantastic. Thank you. I needed to hear that, and I hate you. 
<laughs> it was like, praise God. That was cool. <laughs> we can't make decisions on what to say and what to do by paying attention to approval polls. That's, that's the way the world works, right? The court of public opinion is how you decide things today. You know, that, that, that kind of ideology, it'll grow a big church, but it won't grow a healthy church. And we're more interested in a healthy church than we are a big church. So we need to brace ourselves as Christians for the reality that we're not going to have high approval ratings in this country anymore. Those days are probably gone. Um, but, but here's the key, and I love this. One of the most freeing things that we can do as Christians is to accept that fact. We're, we're not going to be popular in the world. Accept that fact. And then decide who it is we want to please. Whose approval do you really want? When you decide that and really draw a, a, a line in the sand, things will change. Paul made that decision when he said this in Galatians 1.10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. It's that cut and dry. And I love that. You know, this is going to get harder and harder to do. It's going to be harder to draw that line in the sand because... Our culture continues to move away from the word of God and we continue to look weird, you know, weirder, weirder, weirder. That's what's going to happen. We already see the impact this has had on the church, haven't we? The cost is higher than it used to be. The fear of being canceled is real and, and peer pressure is a heavy weight and it's causing people to fall away. They don't want to be associated with Christ if there's a cost like that. So we, we can't be people pleasers, but that doesn't mean we can't be people lovers. And there's a difference, and, and Paul is going to make sure that we understand this. So one of the greatest evidences of the reality of Jesus in the world and in the church is, is the way we love one another, the way we love people. Paul has been reassuring the Christians in Thessalonica that despite anyone says they were not guilty of taking advantage of them or doing anything impure, but as we all know, talk is cheap, isn't it? That's why he reminds them of the genuine love they displayed during the time that they were there. He says, you know, forget about all that other stuff. You know how we loved you guys. That part speaks volumes. Love authenticates who we are. So in verse seven, he says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you would become very dear to us. I, I, you know, Paul pulls out the, he's going to use, he's going to talk about what it's like to, you know, how we were a father among you and, and Chad will get that section, I think. But now he's talking about a mother, a mother taking care of their children. And, and this is a great example. Mothers know exactly what this is like. If you're a mom, you know that you're pretty much the most unappreciated person in the world, right? And yet you unconditionally love and nurture and build up and encourage day in and day out. Why? Because you love your kids. And you don't, you don't know how else to do it. That's what, that's what moms do. They're, they're perfect. At, you know, they, they do it all the time without any sick days or vacation days or appreciation of any kind for the most part. And yet there they are doing it. There's no question about why they do what they do, is there? No, it's love. And that's what Paul's trying to say to them. Just like a mom, we didn't come to get, we came to give. And, that, and that's what a Christian should be like. People are very perceptive. They will know if you actually care about them or if you're just trying to get something from them, like they're a conquest of some kind. They'll know. And we live in a very small community where word gets around really fast. So our testimony in this community matters greatly. People will know what we're like. They'll know what we're about. 
How do people in this community view us? We need to think about that and make sure that, that it lines up with what Paul's saying here. You know, someone recently came from another church and they made this statement that when they got here, they immediately noticed a difference, that we were not an insular church, but an outward church. And I remember just, I took that home with me that day and went, thank you, Lord. What a cool thing to hear. You guys are you're outward. You're thinking about people outside of here, not just the people inside of here. Both are important. But, it, but if you're a church that's just, you know, us four and no more, the, you know, that kind of thing, Something's wrong. When you love people, you will not only share the gospel with them, but you will share your life with them. That's what Christian love is. Jesus said that people will actually know we belong to him, that we're his followers when we love this way, when we love each other like this. And we're talking about the laying down your life kind of love, right? not the be warm and fed kind of love. That's the kind we like, hey, you know, I'll pray for you. No, this is the lay your life down kind of love. That's what he's talking about. Christians are called to care for and minister to others rather than live for themselves. And it's amazing to me to think that, that Paul could express this kind of love after such a short period of time with, the, with this, this group of people. But isn't that what Christian family is like? I mean, it's amazing how quickly somebody can come in for the first time and visit and you immediately feel a family connection with them. There's love because we have Christ in common. So are you ready to share not only the gospel with others, but also your own life, your very self? I hope so, because this is the call of a Christian. In fact, this is the very essence of who Jesus was, isn't it? I, I was, it was kind of blew me away. I love that Jesus, you know, he doesn't ask us to do stuff that he wasn't willing to do himself. And if you look at this passage and look at what Paul talks about, Jesus did all of this completely. So just kind of walk down the, the same section with you really quickly. Um, these could all be said of Jesus. His coming was not in vain even though he suffered and was shamefully treated. He had boldness to declare who he was and what he came to do in the midst of strong opposition. There was no error in what he said, no impurity in what he did, and no attempt to deceive anyone. He was approved by God and entrusted to bring salvation to us. He sought to please God, not man. He was not a flatterer. He was not greedy. He did not seek his own glory, though he had every right to. He was gentle and meek among us. And he was motivated by love for God and for people. He demonstrated that love by going to the cross where he laid down his life, literally laid down his life for us. And he has called us as his followers to do the same. So don't underestimate the impact we can have on a community when we start to do this. Paul was in Thessalonica with Silas and Timothy for a really short time. And it made that kind of an impact. We're here for the long haul, you know, in two places. And, and this, this same impact, a greater impact even can be had as we decide to share the gospel with people and our lives with people. And we have so many opportunities to do that as a church. Have that mindset as we leave this place, as we go out in there. Understand that we are a beacon. We are a lighthouse in this community so that you, you never know when somebody's going to say, you know what, I'm going to go to the door today. You never know the journey somebody takes to walk in here and, and, and hopefully when they come here, they'll find a group of people that loves each other and that loves Christ and that exalts his work and, and his name. Anytime, you know, we start to look at circumstances, we're gonna start to get discouraged. I would just remind you guys, we can take heart that God is winning, even when it may not seem that way. Anytime the gospel is preached, it's a win. 
You know, it is because you're being faithful to God. Even if they don't fall on their knees and say, what must I do to be saved? It's still a win because you've obeyed your father. Anytime, and you don't know what's going to happen with that gospel, by the way, either. You know, who knows? You could, you could throw the seed down. Somebody else can come water it. Somebody else will harvest it. You don't know. So, so it's a win anytime we do it. Anytime people believe in a church has started, it's a win. We have two now. Isn't that cool? Maybe three one day. Who knows? It's a win. And anytime we can be a beacon that points desperate people to the light of the world, it's a win. All right. Father, um, thanks so much for, for this passage. Thank you for the heart of Paul and, and this, this pastoral heart that we see. Lord, each one of us has been called to live the way he's describing, to lay our lives down for others. Uh, Lord, it starts here, right, in this room, but it also goes out into the community. So help us to have that mindset where there's hurting people around us. There's people that are, that are trying to navigate the storms of this world, and we have the answer, Lord. Help us to, to not hold that tightly, but to share it with everybody that will listen to us and use this place mightily for your name and for your glory, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.